This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our many differences may often show us how much we really do have in common. I'm Condice Presley, and our guest on the program today is Dr. Bernice King. She is the CEO of the King Center and daughter to the late Martin Luther King Jr. Today, our conversation is about systemic racism. Dr. King, what is your view of systemic racism in our community today? Well, I think that um, in Atlanta, we have a lot of uh, systemic issues, more so around um, the racial uh, wealth uh, gap in particular. Um, If you uh, look at the history of Atlanta, um, there's always been, uh, you know, this whole divide between the North and the South side, um, which predominantly means North side, white, South side, black, um, and the way in which um, industry develops, business develops, is usually the north side of town. And the black side of town is, is usually, usually um, overlooked and neglected. Um, I would say the same is the case as it relates to um, home ownership, um, investment in, in housing communities. Much of the development has been focused toward the northern side and not the southern side. And why did I say that? Because uh, one of the main ways that people build wealth um, in our world is, is uh, through home ownership. Um, and uh, if you don't have development that is uh, surrounded by the, the right kind of services, um, then it affects you know, the, the uh, appraisal value of your home. Um, and so we've had a history of, of that divide in, in Atlanta and have not really focused a lot on what to do about it. I think um, in other ways, in terms of uh, leadership, executive leadership in Atlanta, there's, there's still a systemic problem around, around having um, Blacks in major roles in corporate leadership, C-suites. Um, and so when I look, think about systemic <laughs> racism in Atlanta, um, those are the things that come to my mind. Um, how do we create a more inclusive, equitable economy um, in the city of Atlanta? I think we've done a good job of uh, creating um, strong uh, race relations um, when it comes to addressing you know, those crises-oriented issues that have historically uh, happened, like segregation in the South, Atlanta certainly was one of those cities uh, that uh, uh, came together to ensure that we would not let um, the, the laws um, around segregation get in the way of doing good business. So um, in many instances, where Birmingham should have gotten industry and commerce, Atlanta got it because we found a way by relationship through the black leadership. My grandfather was a part of that uh, leadership. Uh, uh, Williams Homes Borders, a lot of faith leaders were a part of that um, and other community leaders with the business leaders at the time. Um, and so we made, a, we made a lot of progress and it became what some people would call the Atlanta way where we would make sure that when we're trying to progress, that we are trying to be more inclusive uh, uh, in terms of the Black community. But I think we have fallen 
severely short um, because, as I said, uh, there is a tremendous wealth gap. Um, there is a fundamental problem in our educational system. Um, real estate impacts education. I mean, we know that uh, our tax dollars from home ownership go into our educational system. So if, if you have communities where there have been tremendous foreclosures um, or housing values are lower, then you can imagine what that means for that school system. And Atlanta has suffered from that. Um, so we do have a very serious systemic problem, um, in particular as it relates to economics. And yet Atlanta is a city where people want to move, and yet you say there's still this, this gap. How do we go about closing it? Some of it is going to begin with practicing a different uh, uh, way. Um, you know, I'm thinking about it. I didn't mention, I'm thinking about the gentrification that has taken place all across the city, where there's been investment, but investment at the cost of displacement of historical communities and, and residents uh, that have had generations uh, living in those communities. I grew up in one of those communities in Vine City. Um, and so often our approach is a top-down approach in Atlanta. I mean, unfortunately, I think all across America and maybe even around the world, the notion is that the more educated you are, the more influential you are, then you know what's best uh, for communities and what's best for people. So we have to change that value construct to be a more uh, a construct of understanding true beloved community, which is, hey, we do this together. We build this value system. We build this approach. We build this plan together. I don't invite you to the table. You help to establish the table. Um, and so I think Atlanta has to reconsider uh, how it creates plans and strategies and um, who really is at the table. Um, many times people who represent grassroots um, organizations um, or who represent, truly represent the broad section of a community are not at the onset. Um, if it's being thought about, people need to be at the table. Not after it's been thought about and now let's go with our already conceived of ideas and then we bring a person into the equation. Um, that should not be the approach. Uh, so my hope is that we in Atlanta will find a way to create true um, bridges between um, the business community and the community, <laughs> um, the grassroots community, the neighborhood community, um, there should be something that proactively begins to happen in Atlanta so we know what is the best way, because we can develop, you know, all of the wonderful um, infrastructure that we want to develop. You know, we can be on cutting edge in terms of smart cities. But if, if we have deprived ourselves of uh, ensuring that the people are a part and, and fully developed in this process, then those cities won't remain smart cities um, because over time things will deteriorate and disintegrate. So it's important that people be at the center. My father called it a revolution of values in 1967 when he wrote his book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos of Community. Um, a revolution of values where we become more of a person-centered 
um, society, um, a person-centered city than a thing-oriented city. Yes, it's important that, you know, we uh, um, continue to thrive economically as a, as a city, um, but the drive cannot be that. Um, the end result is that, but the drive has to be how do we, how do we include people in this entire uh, process? Uh, and so that's what I would like to see. Now, you know, where do you start? I don't know. It means people have to be comfortable enough to get uncomfortable. Um, you know, we're used to operating a certain way. We're used to certain people being in the room and in the conversation. We don't like being challenged as leaders um, because sometimes those challenges, uh, you know, you know, kind of expose some things in terms of our practices. But the only way we're going to move forward is in truth, transparency, um, and vulnerability uh, as leadership. Um, and that, to me, will be representative of the of the uh, the city. Uh, that Martin Luther King Jr., Coretta Scott King, Daddy King, and so many others, uh, you know, helped to to bring us to this this point and and reflective of that legacy. Um, so that's that's my suggestion. <laughs> um, if we're going to to really uh, be able to, I won't say preempt some things, but prevent. Um, some of the turmoil and tension that we, we seem to continue to contend with. Um, so my father said something I want to share um, in that same book, and I recommend that all of the leaders in the city uh, read this book, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, Chaos or Community. We would, of course, love them to get it from the King Center Bookstore, but uh, more importantly, that they read it because it's literally a blueprint for where we are and where we should go um, as a city. He said that, and he was, he was speaking in a, in a future uh, sense, that if we don't pursue, and he meant in a um, priority way, if we don't pursue justice, then social tension will grow course we've seen that happening since his assassination and turbulence in the streets will persist and we've seen that happen because our focus our priority has not been on ensuring justice for people to understand um you know there's this conversation now about atlanta being a city of peace well you can't be a city with a peace without justice my father said you know that True peace is not merely the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. And I think where Atlanta has come short is we've created kind of this negative peace. You know, we, we've done a good job of covering over, you know, our conflicts and our problems and kind of resolving uh, those issues that are, that are right in our face. We kind of quell them, quiet them, um, placate them, so to speak. Uh, but just underneath the surface is that extreme wealth gap, that, you know, the, 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 the growing uh, homelessness, um, the grave despair, the poverty 
you know, those that are born into poverty in, in our city um, have a very uh, small chance of escaping it. Um, you know, the, the, the still divide between North and South. Um, if you just drive, you see it. Uh, and so that's kind of the negative piece because there's no presence of justice um, in, in our city. And justice in many respects is side by side with equity. I mean, you know, when people think of equality, equality doesn't work in the absence of equity. So if, if there's some things because of historical and current obstacles and barriers um, that I'm lacking, and you then give me what you give someone else who doesn't have the same obstacles and barriers. What you will do, it'll be equal opportunity, but we'll still be at the same place in the end because as you come up, you, you come up, if we're here, we'll just come up like this, but there's no you know, leveling off, so to speak. Right. So we've got to level some things off and we got to be intentional about that, which means there's got to be redirection um, of our resources. So as we have the revolution of values with being driven by people and understand there's a group of people, um, in particular, I would say black people in the instance of Atlanta because of the heavy concentration of black people, uh, that continue uh, to uh, suffer great disparities in every arena. You're talking about health, environment, um, banking, education, criminal justice, uh, you, you can you can just you you can name it. Yes. Um, we've got to align our resources and investments with the reordering of those priorities to sure that we create that equity, so that as we provide these opportunities, we are ensuring that that these people there's a level playing field, and that now the access is there because when you look at equity, you got to determine. Okay, what is it that's causing people not to be able to take advantage of these opportunities? Their access issues, where are those access issues? Where are those access issues, you know, transportation or the access issues? Look at, look at just what happened. The pandemic has revealed it. Oh, we're gonna go virtual in our education system. But look what happens to those communities that don't even have uh, access. They don't have broadband. They, you know, uh, or they don't have the equipment. Right. Um, and what do we do about that? Are we just going to keep moving forward and, and stay in this virtual world and these people continue to lag behind? No, we've got to redistribute, you know, these resources and access to these opportunities so that we can begin to create a sense of, of equity um, and that's in community. Now in corporate America, there's a whole nother issue of, of equity. You know, how do we ensure that we're not just hiring black people for uh, positions mm -hmm. that we think logically fit a black person like the DNI, you know, like we don't fit in any other executive position. Like finance. Um, like, exactly, exactly. Like finance. That's the area uh, when it gets the money, it's like, keep the blacks away. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have to be, in intentionality is the word that has to take place. And, um, you know, we had a, a conversation before this. It, it, those of us in the black community are clear that the, the system is not broke. 
there's nothing to fix in this current system. In fact, if we try to fix it, which we've been trying to do probably, you know, with DNI efforts, I always tell people DNI has not benefited black people um, for the most part. No. It's benefited a lot of white women in particular, um, but it, it has not made a significant difference uh, uh, for, for black people in the black community. Um, so we've got to figure out, you know, how do we create a new way uh, and I don't like calling systems because maybe we don't need a system. I don't know what we call it, uh, but we certainly need, we, what we need is a focus, a, a serious focus on creating beloved community cultures. That's the work that, you know, we're focused on it through the King Center, which is getting, helping people to develop these, these beloved community cultures in, in corporate environments, in communities, um, but we've got to fully understand um, the beloved community and we've got to embrace a whole new way of thinking, um, which is going to be difficult for, for most of us, not just someone who's white. It's going to be difficult for everybody because we were all kind of born into these systems and structures that were already here. Um, and it, it, it influenced our way of thinking and operating and, and practicing. Um, so we're all somewhat guilty to a certain extent of, of allowing this system to continue to perpetuate itself. So thank God for the banner, Black Lives Matter, the, the people, the young people who have said no more, you know, time out. And yes, we're going to disrupt, deconstruct so that we can reconstruct um, as a society, a culture, a world, a communities that are not just inclusive, diverse and include, inclusive, but where people feel like they belong. I belong here. And I belong here because the way in which we function and operate makes me feel truly connected in every sense of the word. What does police reform look like to you? That's one of the biggest wow. issues. Wow, yeah, yeah. Well. I don't think you can reform policing because again, policing came out of slave patrols to keep black people in check. Yes. Um, these are the things we have to start considering. I mean, okay, where did policing people come from? People don't know that. I mean, I know they don't. <laughs> most, most of us, you know, didn't pay attention to that. Didn't think, about, I mean, I mean, we're born and we, again, we have these systems and structures and processes and, and you know, entities in our society and we're never taught to question things. Um, critical thinking is just not something that's fostered in our, in our school systems. Um, but I've, as a child, I've always asked questions and maybe that's, you know, my father was like that, my mom was like that. Um, but, you know, police, um, wow. I understand when people say defund, but I also understand when people feel a little uncomfortable with it, because if you throw out a word, and, and especially if people are literal, defund so can suggest to people, you know, no more police. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way some people hear, that they're just totally anti-police. And maybe there are some people that are. There are other people when they hear defund, they hear, how do we redistribute 
the funds, the, the funding that we're using now in policing into other areas that are desperately needed that you don't need policing. Um, for most of us in the black community, if we step away and really look at it, and this is in every major uh, urban center um, in, in the United States of America, there's a greater police presence in the black community and the brown community mm -hmm. than in any other community. Um, no, not warrants. I said to somebody, they may pass a law, okay? We can have no, not warrants under these circumstances, et cetera. But we know when it comes to applying laws, and that's another thing we've got to start looking at in our society, when we start pushing for these laws, how do we protect against them not being applied in a discriminatory manner? Right. No, not warrants are applied in black communities. You don't hear of that in white communities, in communities that are predominantly white. It happens in our communities. Um, and so we've got to really back up and say, do we still need this construct or this yeah, construct, because it is a construct, mm -hmm. called policing? Or is there something else around public safety that we can reimagine that includes an element that helps to you know, uh, create safety all in all communities. Um, and we have other parts of uh, the work that deals with mental health, you know, domestic violence. Um, I was just thinking when I said uh, something about uh, mental health, you know, in some of these instances, mental health in a traditional sense is you know, there, there may be some, some issues psychologically a person has, but at this point in our society, when police come into the black community, we're already traumatized. And so some of the resistance that people, that policemen are experiencing today is just that. There is a serious fear and apprehension in the black community that they're getting ready to kill me. They're getting ready to hurt me. And so we start resisting because of, of the traumatic, you know, images, experiences that we have seen uh, close up or via social media otherwise. Um, and the police are responding to that, not realizing that that is a mental health challenge. And so, we need the proper kinds of individuals trained to address all these different uh, kinds of issues and investment in community, you know, investment in education, um, investment in community services. But more importantly, um, we need the business community to start believing in the black community. And, and really investing their dollars in the black community um, and doing it in a way that it's not, I'm doing you a favor, but I'm, I'm doing it one because you are the reason I am who we are, who we are. Black people built America. I'm saying that because even though we may have been in those low paying jobs, we're the reason why there's wealth in, in 
every corporation in this, this country. And then we are probably the, the largest consumers for many of them. Um, so please don't see it as a favor, uh, see it as a true partnership or as a family investment. We are members of a worldwide human family. To learn more about nonviolent training at the King Center, please visit thekingcenter.org. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.